The scripture before the lesson in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. We'll be reading verse 1 through 4. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and obedience received a just recompense of reward, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also hearing them witness both with signs and wonders, and the divers miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. I came across a poem the other day and I thought that while I was studying this text that it might be something that would uh, encourage us to uh, maybe even better understand what we're studying this morning. Sometimes when nothing goes just right and worry reigns supreme, when heartache fills the eyes with mist and all things useless seem, there's just one thing can drive away the tears that scald and blind Someone to slip a strong arm round and whisper, never mind. No one is ever told just why those words such comfort bring, nor why that whisper makes our cares depart on hurried wing. Yet troubles say a good quick goodbye, we leave them far behind, when someone slips an arm around and whispers, never mind. But love must prompt that soft caress, that love must I be true, or at that tender clinging touch, no heart ease come to you. But if the arm be moved by love, sweet comfort you will find, when someone slips an arm around and whispers, never mind. I think in life there will be situations that we do not want to be the case. That happens to everyone. No one is unique in that area. But because of that, the writer of Hebrews encouraged the reader to always remember the promise Jesus made. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It was Paul who reminded Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 16, saying, At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And of course, Jesus came to him during one of those times and he said, Be of good cheer, Paul, Acts 23, verse 11. It was as if the Lord was putting his arm around Paul, laying his arm across his shoulder and telling him things will be okay. Just be careful not to drift. That's the title of the sermon this morning, Be Careful Not to Drift. And as we look at the the manuscript the writer of Hebrews has presented to us, what we see is its sole focus on it on uh, its sole focus is Christ is better. Christ is better than the angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than the prophets. He's better than the Old Covenant. He is 
his priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood, and Christianity is better than Judaism, it is better than Islam, it is better than any, quote, Christian denomination that the world knows. It is simply better. And just like all of the books of the Bible, there's an immediate context wherein we understand what was happening at that time in the, uh, in the paragraph or the passage or whatever we're reading. And then there's a universal context that we are to be able to take hold of and make some kind of application to our lives today. Of course, the New Testament is full solely of applications that we can make to our lives today. And so we need to be able to look past the immediate context because, excuse me, after all, we're not Jews and we're not in danger of leaving Christ for Judaism. But we are Christians just like they were and we are faced with issues in this life that sometimes cause us to simply drift away. Of course, these... uh, Christians were enduring hardships because of their beliefs in Christ and their obedience to Christ. Therefore, when all of the pressure came to them to forsake God, to give up on Christ, to renounce Him as the Savior and return to the old law, that was difficult for them. They had a hard time standing up against that. And of course, they were in danger of falling away because of that temptation. Paul didn't want that, or the writer of Hebrews didn't want that to happen. God didn't want that to happen. The Christ didn't want that to happen. And He doesn't want that to happen to us today. No matter what the cause is, it may cause us to drift away from God. We need to make sure that we maintain our relationship. We need to make sure that we're not allowing the events in our lives or our lifestyles to cause us to drift away. We need to be careful not to do that. So like Paul's readers, uh, the writer of Hebrews, I, I believe Paul wrote that, but anyway, just like uh, the writer of Hebrews <clears throat> so many years ago, uh, you know, we didn't just begin our journey to end, right? We didn't start this to stop early. We started this lifestyle to endure and to maintain. And because this life presents obstacles, and it does, which will impede our progress at times, we need to overcome those. We do not need to turn loose of our eternal lives. We must be steadfast, show a commitment to God, and be faithful to the one who gave His life so that we might live. I think we must take to heart the encouragement and the teaching found in our passage. And just like those brethren, those brethren who were uh, facing such great difficulty almost 2,000 years ago, if we're not careful to be careful not to drift, we'll find ourselves in similar situations. But in order to overcome that, we need to be like they were, or exactly what Paul was trying to elicit from them. We need to react to this instruction. And that's our first point. We need to react to the instruction of the writer. Of course, the writer began his exhortation with, Therefore, or for this reason. He had talked about the things we read in chapter 1. Based upon those facts, he begins this statement, For that reason, 
we must give the more earnest heed. We need to take heed. We need to do something, right? We need to listen to what's being taught, react to it, and take heed of what is being said. The word heed here is very specific in what it means. It does not indicate giving normal attention to something. That's not what the writer is talking about. It demands maximum attention. Based on what we've talked about in chapter 1, give maximum attention to those things. We see the same thought in the commandment, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. If we are rightly dividing or handling properly the word of God, we must earnestly heed what it says. If we understand what God's word intends for us to know, and we can all understand it, and we can understand it alike, We need to heed that. Moses exhorted the children of Israel. Prior to entering into the land of Canaan, he understood what kind of people he was dealing with. He had marched through the uh, wilderness with them for about 40 years, and he knew the ups and the downs, the good and the bad. And prior to them entering into the land of promise, Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, he exhorted the children, saying, Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons. Take heed. Give maximum attention to yourself. Make sure you are where you need to be. And teach that to your children, and teach it to your children's children. And then, when you move into the promised land, you will be able to continually please God and you'll be able to continually reap those benefits that God has in store for you. And that is exactly the same sentiment that Christians ought to live by today. Take heed to ourselves. Paul said, examine yourselves, he told those in Corinth. Look deep inside yourselves. Know who you are. Don't be like the guy James talked about, the person James said, looks in a mirror and then he walks away from the mirror and he forgets what kind of man he was. Look deep into yourselves and make sure we know who we are. To the Corinthians, Paul also warned this, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Of course, what he's talking about there, he's talking about the person that thinks he stands apart from God. We don't stand apart from God, not the Christian. No one stands apart from God, really. But we might live that way. And if we live that way, we'll fall. We can't stand apart from God. And so we have to be careful. It's not enough just to heed. But we have to heed what we hear from God. There's a whole lot of things in the world that people say we can do to accomplish eternal life and to gain it. But we have to hear what God says. Notice what the writer said. Take heed. Take heed to what? Well, therefore, and in chapter 1 he talked about Christ coming in the very image of God and speaking to the people. Where in times past the prophets spoke to the people, but now the very Son of God came. So we are to take heed and hear that. We're to listen to what Christ had to say. 
not what some person says. If they're repeating what God says, much like Paul did, then we can listen to that, right? There are faithful men and women today that can teach the very things that Jesus wants us to know, and we can follow after what they say, but they're teaching what they hear from God, right? What they're reading in the New Testament. And again, he's talking about those teachings of Jesus, those facts, those commandments, those writings that have been preserved for us. In the first verse of our text, the writer demands maximum attention to the doctrine. But he also encourages us to be timely in our acceptance and obedience. I think that's something that is is often overlooked in the world. Have you ever spoke with someone and and maybe you've taught them the gospel and, and they tell you, well, I'm just not ready to commit yet. I'm just not ready. That's probably the truth. They're not ready to give themselves to God wholly, commit their lives to Him. And, and I'm sure they're telling exactly the truth. That's why the writer says, take heed what you hear. Do what you've learned. Don't put that off. What happens? Well, we can read throughout the New Testament. We can read the parables that Christ spoke. We can read the teachings of Peter and Paul and the other inspired writers. And when is, when is the Lord going to return on His second trip? Well, we don't know, do we? It might be any time. It could be any moment. We don't know when He's going to return. And so we have to heed and be prepared. That's what the writer's talking about. If the writer's point is to cause a reaction on the part of the reader, then what is that reaction for which he looks? What's he trying to gain? Well, I think the reaction the inspired writer is expecting is for the hearer to receive the communication. Verse 2, that's our second point. Sometimes we forget, I believe, just how fortunate we are to have the revealed truth of God. It's available to everyone in the world. Well, they may have to search it out. They may have to do a little something that's a little more difficult than what we have to do in this nation to receive a copy of God's Word. But I think when, when we look at the situations around the world, we can see the great blessing of having the Word of God because when you go to places where it's not readily available, you see that hunger in those people. If you take a Bible to them and it's written in their language, that's the happiest moment that they've had in a long time. They're searching and they're looking for that. Now the gospel is available throughout the world. But for us to understand the blessing we have for having that, we kind of need to put ourselves in the position of someone who can't even have a copy of the written word. I recall the last time I was in in India, I was in northeast India, and we went into the jungles and we had two Bibles, brethren, written in that Assamese language. Two that's, that's amazing to me. I said, why can we not get Bibles written in this language? And it was so difficult to procure Bibles written in that language that, that they had two Bibles. And we were going out into the jungle where there were thousands of people that we interacted with with two Bibles. But you know the Word is powerful and we were able to establish two congregations of the Lord's people in those jungles of northeast India. And those brethren that went with us maintained that, and they continue to go there. Now, I hope and pray to God they have more than two Bibles now. But that's what they started with. 
if they have more. And so we need to appreciate being able to look at what God has, has uh, in store for us and receive that. That's the reaction. When we look at what it cost to get this Word of God, I think it is so important that we understand what God has in store for us. Sometimes we just overlook that. I think sometimes we just get used to seeing Bibles and reading the Bible. We'll read passages, and it's like it kind of goes over our heads sometimes. Of course, again, the writer here incorporates the use of comparison. He is showing the superiority of the law of Christ. And he goes all the way back to Sinai. God revealed to us in a very specific way the New Testament, the gospel of Christ. But let's go back and take a look at Sinai for just a moment. We remember the account. Moses goes up on the mountain. He's gone for 40 days. He receives the, uh, what we know as the Ten Commandments written on stone. And do you know how he received it? From the hands of angels. The hands of angels delivered it to him. And of course he came down off of the mountain and he saw what was going on at the foot of that mountain. People engaged in immorality and, and idol worship and he, and he threw down the commandments and he broke them. And then he burned the golden calf and he ground it into dust. He made the people drink it. Well he had to go right back up on the mountain. He was there for 40 days again and this time he had to carve out those Ten Commandments on stone. Now that's an amazing way to receive God's law, isn't it? By the hands of angels. But you see what the writer of Hebrews is doing? He's making a comparison. As great as that is, we receive the New Testament from God's very only begotten Son, the only one of His kind. He came and He brought that message. We need to be able to understand that. We need to understand that He brought that to us. He's not going to come again and give it to us because we're not paying attention. That's not what he's going to do. And later on in the book, in even stronger language, the writer says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 10, 26. Now we have to understand what that means. Why is there no more sacrifice for sin? Now a whole lot of people have misunderstood that and misused that verse. I've spoken with people who say, You know, I can't, I sinned willfully, now I can't be forgiven. That's not at all what the writer of Hebrews intends. What he's saying, let's keep it in the context. They're trying to leave the gospel for the old law. What was the purpose of the old law? Well, first of all, it told us how bad sin was. And throughout, from Genesis chapter 3 on through to the last book recorded for us, it pointed to Christ. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. And so within that context, they're trying to go back to a law that says a a Savior is coming. He says there's no more sacrifice. It already came. The sacrifice came. He gave Himself. So you're trying to go back, willfully leaving Christ to go back to a law that points to Him? There's not another sacrifice. That's what He's talking about. And so... When we look at the importance of what happened in His delivering the message to us, you know, we need to receive that message, right? We need to receive that. We need to be able to 
look at it and say, I understand what God's trying to get me to do. I understand the importance of what He went through and the sacrifices made so we could have the revealed truth. And again, we go back and let's put ourselves in a position, just in a physical sense, that some people can't even get a copy of the Bible. And so we need to go out and make sure they can get copies of the Bible, but then we need to thank God that we have the revealed truth presented to humanity. The writer is impressing upon each of us that we're all going to receive something from God. We're all going to receive something. God's a just God. He's going to reward or He's going to punish. And that's why the message was sent. That's why we're to take heed. That's why God wants the reaction. That's why He wants us to receive His message because everybody's going to, going to gain something. We're either going to be blessed or we're going to be punished. And it's all in that message. If God punished His chosen people of the Old Testament, and that's what the writer, another example he uses, if He punished the very people that He chose physically to be His people, do you think He will not punish those who reject His Son's people? Of course He will. Of course He will. Paul told those at Rome, let's read that passage. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest He also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in His goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. Those that fail, he's talking about those that fail during the wandering, the wandering in, the, in the wilderness. The 40 years, they fail because on different occasions because they rejected God and they stood up against Moses and they were not what they needed to be. We always have to remember, one way or the other, we're going to receive a just recompense for what we've done. And we need to keep that in mind. But God's desire is that we receive a reward. That's what He wants, right? And that's, of course, eternal life. We learned that Second 2 Peter 3, 9. Uh, the other side of God's justice, though, is just as real as heaven is. You talk to, to those in the religious realm and they don't believe in, their, in, in hell. There's no such thing as a literal hell. Well, if there's no hell, there's no heaven. Can't be. If there's no uh, uh, light, there's no darkness. There's no darkness, there's no light. You have to have both, right? If there's good, there's bad. Because bad came into the world. Not because God created it, but because Satan enticed the first people the first couple, to sin, and that brought sin into the world. So if we convince ourselves, and much of the world has, that there's no thing, no real thing such as hell, then there can't be a heaven. This doesn't make sense. And of course, Paul talked about Romans 6, 23, the, the wages of sin is death. We earn that, right? That's what wages are. And again, that is determined by how we receive the message of God. He wants us to receive it properly. Paul illustrated, Romans 2 beginning verse 4, he said, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? That's the whole point of wanting to repent, isn't it? The goodness of God, the love that God has, has uh, uh, given to each of us. And then, of course, he goes on and talks about righteous judgment and uh, uh, punishing the contentious in those who do not obey the truth. 
It is not possible, brethren, to simply ignore God. I think a lot of people think if we don't look, He won't see us. You know, it's just like the child that is hiding from you and they cover up their face and they think you can't see them because they can't see you. And we look at that and we laugh and we, we look at the, the cute little girl or the cute little boy who does that and it's funny and they're so sweet when they do it and that's what a majority of the people are doing in this world today who are grown. They can't see God physically and they think that God can't see them. And he doesn't understand. He doesn't know what's going on. God knows. God knows. And everyone will be justly rewarded. As the writer continued his discourse, he wanted the reader to react to his letter. That reaction was to receive God's message. And then he wanted them to realize the plain truth of the teaching. That's our third and final point in verses 3 through 4 of our text. He asked a question. He asked a question beginning with verse 3. He said, how shall we escape? How shall we escape? That's a rhetorical question. How shall we escape if those who died under the old law were punished by God? How shall we escape those of us who have received the new law? Of course, the answer is we won't. There is no escape if we reject Christ. We understand that. Later in the letter, he described the events of the last day, Hebrews 10, 31, and he said it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's fearful for those who felt like they could escape, but there's no escape if we reject Christ and His message. The whole point is Christ sacrificed more than we can imagine. That's the whole point. He gave everything he had to give. Have you ever known anyone in this life who, in in our personal relationships, right? In our marriages, in our friendships, that they gave every last drop they could give to that relationship. How do we feel about those people? Well, we love them. We love them, right? They would do anything to make sure that their husband or their wife or their children or or whoever were safe and happy. How do we feel about those people? We love them, right? And that's how we ought to feel about God. He gave all He had. He gave the best of heaven. And Christ came to this earth and He suffered in an unimaginable way. How do we feel like? As a, as a human, as the human race, that we can escape punishment if we reject Him. The word translated "neglect" in our text is the same one used in Matthew twenty-two verse five, where the guests made light of the invitation of the king. They weren't interested. Those who reject Christ or those who leave Christ are making light of His message and making light of how His message came to us. We're neglecting that if that's what we're doing. And that's an outrage, I think. As we read that parable, I think it is an outrage for the unthankful guest not to pay homage and not to appreciate, but, in, but in, uh, uh, instead showing disdain toward the king. How can, how can people do that? We cannot ignore God. We cannot neglect Him. 
I think we see a similar thought by Paul when we read the, his uh, first letter to the, or the, his second letter to the uh, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8. We're not going to read that, but it talks about Christ coming in vengeance on those who are not obedient, bringing rest to those who, who are obedient. We need to understand that. If we're going to escape the punishment of hell, we need to be eager in gaining eternal life. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. We're not going to just kind of slip into heaven. Have you ever <clears throat> heard someone, and, and, and I've talked to people who've made statements similar to this, you know, they just, you know, if I, if I can just slip in, that's all I care about. If I can just slip into heaven, the lowest rung on the ladder, I, that's all I want. That's not how it works, is it? No one's just going to stumble into heaven. No one's just going to fall into heaven. You're not going to get there by accident. You're not going to get there by luck. We're not going to get there that way. We're going to get there because we are eager to get there, right? We're going to get there because we've reacted to the message and we received it. We want to escape the punishment, but we have to be eager to gain the blessing. Those brethren were convinced of the validity of the old law at that time. They thought that it was still in authority, and it was not. It came from God, absolutely, and it was perfect for what it was designed to do. But notice some of the differences. It was given to Moses by angels. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to meet and speak with an angel? You know, you read in the Old Testament, and you, and you read about Gabriel presenting himself to Daniel, and, and you read about uh, times when... Uh, when people were instructed by angels, you know, and I can just imagine what a wonderful, what a wonderful thing that would have been. But what about standing in the very presence of the Son of God? What about all those people who were able to see Him? And all those same very people denied Him for the most part and murdered Him on the cross. See, we have to be eager to be a part of who He is. We have to believe the things that we read about. That's what God expects in our time, just as in the time of those who, who received the letter initially. We must encourage each other to faithfulness. Let's be careful not to drift. Let's encourage each other that, that we don't want to drift. Let's not allow our lifestyles or the events or the, the, the activities in which we are involved, let's not allow that to cause us to drift away. Let's be steadfast and, and encourage one another to to be faithful and be faithful in every aspect of life. Let's be faithful in our attendance. Let's not allow any little excuse that comes along to, to cause us to be absent from the brethren. We talked about uh, that a while back, Hebrews uh, 10, 23 through 25. We wanted to focus on 23 and 24, right? Why? We're not to forsake. Let's encourage each other because it's discouraging when we look around. You know, it's discouraging enough when someone just can't be here, right? It's discouraging to look out and, and see Sister Nell's seat empty because she can't be here, but would she be here? Absolutely. It's discouraging when uh, Sister Ruth can't be here and she's been in that position from time to time. Brother Joe went to a spell here a while back and it was just devastating. You look back there and he's not there and we miss him and it's discouraging, not because of anything they've done, but just because we love them and we miss them. And just think about how discouraging it is when people just don't show up. Well, what about any other aspect of the work? Let's not allow ourselves to, to drift away from God because we feel like that the church is going to take care of that. Well, brethren, we are the church. 
We are the church, and I think that's an issue in the church universal, that there, not everyone is pitching in and doing their part. And that's what we need to do. And that's one of the things that the writer is talking about here. I think we've been instructed and encouraged to remain faithful at all cost. At all cost. Nothing is worth losing our very souls. Jesus has never lied to us. He's never left us. He will never mistreat us. And it is of the utmost importance for us to be careful not to drift away. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. Believe on Him. Repent of past sins. Confess His holy name before others and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. That's 238. If you've drifted away, come back to Him this day. Don't stay away long. When we look at this idea of drifting away, it's, it's like uh, a ship that has come loose from the anchor and it just kind of drifts away, right? We don't have to be the worst sinner in the world. We don't have to be someone who completely rejects the gospel of, of Christ to drift away from Him. And so we need to be careful not to drift away. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.